Welcome to Zero Brightness, a podcast about horror video games. My name's Ali. I'm joined by my friend James. How's it going, James? I'm confused about all these life simulator mechanics right now. <laughs> yeah. I forgot to eat this morning, and now I'm tired and sleepy. Yeah. So this will be pretty interesting, because today <laughs> we're talking about Lone Survivor. Yes. It's part of 16-bit month. Because this game is super 16-bit. It's a 2D side-scrolling horror game. Survival horror game. Yeah. Emphasis on the survival. <laughs> Don't forget to eat breakfast. Yeah. And we played I it... I found a can of beans yesterday, so I'm good. Yeah. We played it very, very differently. So I'm kind of excited to, uh, to see what happens here. <laughs> yep. I went to this completely blind. Yeah. So. But before we see what happens, as always... This episode of Zero Brightness is brought to you by you. You can go to patreon.com slash zero brightness to find out more and sign up to help support the show. And Zero Brightness is a game club. Uh, We tell you what we're going to play next so that you can play along with us if you so choose. That's at the end of every episode. Once the Yoshi's Island music starts up, you can also jump in our discord. (laughs) We have a channel just for the game club. Uh, and we have channels for all sorts of other stuff. Maybe a Baby Yoda channel coming soon. I don't know. We'll see how long we stay excited about this Baby Yoda stuff. <laughs> uh, I I hope Baby Yoda is forever. I mean, Baby Yoda spinoff, right? Like, come on. I mean, I don't even watch the show. I just like the Baby Yoda memes. Yeah, but I would watch the Baby Yoda show. Yeah. It, it could just be a montage of him being cute yeah, for 30 I mean, minutes. That's kind of what Twitter is right now, but <laughs> yes, I would like it collected. Yeah, this game really needed a baby Yoda. Yeah, well, kind of does. You get a cat. <laughs> Same thing. Same thing. Okay, so Lone Survivor <laughs> released in 2012, developed mm-hmm. by Jasper Byrne uh, as the studio Super Flat Games. Um, Jasper Byrne is a pretty interesting human. Uh, before this, did he did like a number of more simplistic flash games? Uh, there was one he did for Adult Swim, actually, that I think a fair amount of people played. And also, uh, I, I think it must have been you know around the same time uh, as Lone Survivor. He did the soundtrack for Hotline Miami. Um, he's a musician if you find him on Twitter he's always like linking to new music and he's always working on new music he makes really cool shit Um, obviously I mean the soundtrack for Hotline Miami is very beloved Um, Mm, yeah so it it, you know Lone Survivor is interesting though because it seems like the one sort of full you know game that he developed you know it wasn't like a, a simple flash game or it wasn't like a one-off release it was like a full-length you know single-player adventure game that he made and now he seems to have mostly left game dev behind um he works on music Mm. and other projects uh he had a few other games in development and he he had a blog and on his blog he sort of slowly canceled them all and now it seems (laughs) like he's not really working on anything else um Mm. I, i mean he created a lot of excitement with the release of Lone Survivor. This game got a lot of press. A lot of people were really excited about it when it came out. And yeah, it just hasn't really followed it up. That's interesting that he left it behind because this game has such like tight mechanics and unique gameplay loop. 
Yeah. Um, that I feel like he was onto something, you know? This game does have a little bit of that kind of like flash game feel to it. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. But I think there's enough going on aesthetically that it it's not distracting, you know? I might be off base here, but I really feel like this game feels m- mostly like a Game Boy Advance game. Oh, no, for sure. Just, just because the graphics are so chunky and it's like really zoomed in. So when if you're playing this on a TV, it feels like almost uncomfortably zoomed in. Like a, sort of like a Game Boy or Game Boy Advance game feels. Oh, yeah. Oh, no, totally. Um, it it does. And personally, I mean, we've, we've talked about this on the show, but like I love that. The Game Boy Advance is maybe like my favorite system. And mm-hmm. so when I find a game that kind of gives me that Game Boy Advance feel, I get really excited. Um, so this game was perfect for me, and I was really excited about it when it came out. It was originally, this is kind of funny, it was originally released on his website. Oh, yeah. Uh, and you had to go to his website and buy it, which is what I did. Mm. So <laughs> I kind of panicked when I was messaging you because I was like, you were like, you already have this game, right? And I was like, yeah. And I went to get the files and they were like Mac files because I got this game in 2012 when my like leisure computer was a Mac. Nice. Which is really weird. It seems like a lifetime ago. Well, it's on a. It runs on the Adobe Air engine, which actually can run in a web browser. Mm-hmm. Um, it's Flash. I think it shares a similar code base as Flash. And uh, I mean, Angry Birds is on it too. Yeah, nice. Adobe Air. That's actually an engine I didn't really know anything about. Yeah, for sure. Well, yeah, Angry Birds is on it, and so is a uh, Machinarium. Yeah, um, which is like part of that series. Um, one of those games that's always been in my Steam library, and I have no idea how I got there. It's a cool game. There's actually a whole series of them. I think they're like Eastern European developed, if mm. I'm remembering correctly. There's like I think three... it's like a point-and-click adventure. Style yeah, thing. it's like a point-and-click adventure puzzle game. Mm. And they're basically nice. like these sort of ru- like rusty robot kind of like... Uh, broken down future aesthetic and they're very like cryptic Mm. puzzle games like you're meant to explore little environments and solve puzzles and stuff let's talk a little bit about what this game is because it is (laughs) kind of fascinating and i don't think there's another game like it uh well i can think of one silent hill (laughs) (laughs) well and we'll get to that but i mean just as a basic premise this is a 2d side-scrolling survival horror game Mm-hmm. And it like fully commits to every part of that description. And that's kind of what's impressive to me, you know? Yeah. Well, you definitely have to survive. Yeah. And there's <laughs> horror involved. And it's a game. <laughs> so the game has this really uh, chunky and pixelated look. It's like a 16-bit game, but I think there's also more filtering on top yeah, of it. Yeah, it's filtered to hell. And I think some like uh like true PC gamer nerds will hate that about this game because it's it's just filtered like constantly. Well, There's um yeah. even like chromatic aberration and tons of uh like fog effects and stuff. And each it doesn't seem like real scan lines because there are vertical and horizontal scan lines and the pixels are square uh perfect little squares so it's kind of jarring it almost looks like a mosaic kind of effect well and so here's the thing about it 
I noticed it immediately. And if you've listened to our episode that includes the glass staircase, I kind of like went off on that game because it has like a lot of very heavy handed filtering. I didn't mind it in this game for two reasons. Number one, I thought that they still it still made room for interesting color and lighting. So the game still Mm -hmm. had like a lot of atmosphere and it wasn't like the filter was just there to smudge everything to the point of, you know, like losing that. Mm -hmm. Um, The other thing is that the way it's deployed in the game, I think is really cool. And it almost made me think that it was like the 16 bit version of camera blur, like the soap opera (laughs) effect, you know? Yeah. And like, I had never really thought of that. But then I was like, looking at this game, I was like, oh, it's kind of like that because it makes everything weird and dreamlike. And mm. I think a lot of the horror in the game is meant to be based in showing you images that you can't quite make out. And so, like, having this weird kind of mosaic effect on things actually worked really well. Yeah. And, uh, you know, th- there's a flashlight mechanic, and that helps. I mean, the the visuals... Right, uh, it's kind of like a blurry darkness, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, this game is hugely, hugely influenced by Silent Hill, the original Silent Hill, and I thought that this was actually kind of a cool way to impart that same look without it being like super cheesy, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, uh, personally, it was distracting for sixty seconds, and then I completely forgot about it and was fine with it. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So another thing that you kind of have to get used to in this game is that the way the maps are designed and the way the game is laid out. So mm-hmm. the game has a map, of course, because it's a Silent Hill type game. Yeah. And when you open up your map, it looks just like Silent Hill, but it's, it's like side scrolling. So it takes yeah. a second for your brain to get used to that. It definitely feels like the maps were designed as you would a real map, like in three-dimensional space, and then adapted to 2D. Yeah. Which initially is really jarring, because what that means is that there are there's a foreground and a background to every room. and Right. The doors can be in the foreground, background, or on the sides of the room. Right. So that can be really confusing when if you're not switching between the map and the gameplay. Constantly. Right. So the first time I played this game, it was really jarring. But then once I got used to it, I was like, man, this is kind of genius because it still allows for the exploration and like navigation that you do in a traditional survival horror game without Mm -hmm. having to have it be in 3D space. It reminds me of Clock Tower SNES if it had a map. (laughs) Yeah. So, of course, obviously gets a couple points over Clock Tower SNES because it has a fucking map. Yeah. Uh, It also made me realize that uh, side-scrolling was the original fixed camera. So, you know, (laughs) totally makes sense. And another thing that helps with this perspective is that the sound is really well done. So it has directional sound, just like a 3D survival horror game would which is cool because you can hear if you're getting close to an enemy that you can't see yet or you can know what to expect like if you walk into a room and it's big and it's full of enemies but you can't see them yet you know Mm -hmm. so the game gives you a lot of tools to navigate even though the basic premise of the navigation is a little bit confusing yeah and it's just fun and immersive it kind of reminds me of games like tomba where the path would split in a side scroller you know Uh uh-huh yeah, 
it, it just gives a sense of dimensionality and space to a, a side-scrolling 2D game. I love it when 2D games do shit like that. Yeah, for sure. I think that's the big thing about this game is it's super immersive and atmospheric and the sound and visuals really, really push that side of it. And I totally agree. I think it's really cool to have like a side-scrolling game that's super immersive. Yeah, and you know, while we're on sound design, the music is killer too. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Um, The music is really dynamic, so it can go between just sort of like dark ambience and more like upbeat instrumental stuff like you would expect in the cutscene of a silent hill game um it, yeah it, it's it's to me it's a 50 50 mix between yamaoka core and angelo bottle core yeah like there's the jazzy kind of dancey stuff you know the uh, audrey dance kind of music and then yeah there's like straight up trip hop moments which are always really cool and refreshing yeah one thing i thought that was cool was that the ambient stuff does sound more like Bottlementi and Twin Peaks music than Silent Hill music. Um, yeah. Just because, like, that sound has been aped so much, like Yamaoka's ambient style. Sure. That it was actually kind of nice that this game decided to be a little more on the Twin Peaks side of things. Yeah, and I think, you know, um, I think the nerd, is just the same way the music is like copying 50% Twin Peaks, 50% Silent Hill, their narrative does too. Oh, the, yeah. the way it's delivered, we'll talk about it later, but the way the story is delivered is like straight up half and half. Oh, yeah. No, 100%. Um, yeah, the one thing I, I did want to say about the sort of like the basic mechanics of the game that I thought was really cool was that with the sound and the visuals and the fixed perspective, it actually does a really good job unexpectedly of recreating the feel and the scares of an old survival horror game. Like totally having the camera pan over and then just seeing a monster you didn't expect or having the sound build towards a monster that like you're not sure of, you know, or like having things kind of pop out at you. It, it actually is like really well set up to deliver those scares. Yeah, I mean, there are real tense moments when your health is really low and the screen is flashing red and you're trying to get back to your apartment so you can sleep it off. Yeah, yeah. totally. Oh, I, I just like, I didn't expect that when I first yeah. played this game and it, it really took me by surprise. I think this is like kind of a really good way to revisit that style of game while playing a game that's completely different from all those classic survival horror mm-hmm. games. It is cool to play a Silent Hill style game that has a sort of hub that you can go back to and kind of rest. Yeah. Um, it, it kind of feels like the save room in Resident Evil. Because, well, essentially, you know, you're in your apartment for a lot of the game. You go back to your apartment to sleep and cook food or whatever. Mm-hmm. But it's cool to have that like Resident Evil feel save room kind of thing going on in a Silent Hill game. Yeah, or just like a home base in a Metroidvania game yeah, where it's totally. like you can go back and you can choose when you go back, which is because like Silent Hill 4 toyed with that. But in Silent Hill 4, you can't go back to your apartment whenever you want. You have to like it's at certain points. Yeah, well, there's a lot of Silent Hill 4 in this game. Oh, for sure. But I think it's interesting that in Silent Hill 4, you can only go back to your apartment when the devs want you to and then eventually your apartment isn't even safe anymore uh this game it's more like in a metroidvania game where you have a hub that you can choose to go back to whenever you want and it's always safe 
So speaking of Silent Hill and David Lynch, uh, these are obviously the two big influences on this game. Uh, I, it's, I mean, you catch it immediately, but I did go and read a few different interviews with the creator of this game, and he just totally doubled down on that and was like, yeah, dog, <laughs> like <laughs> that was the jam, uh, which I thought was really cool. He didn't try and like dodge it or anything. It was just like, yeah, I love Silent Hill. I love David Lynch. And he talked a little bit too about kind of what we've talked about on the show about alternative horror, like mm. Silent Hill and David Lynch being these big pillars of alternative horror and just being like, you know, wanting to do something that's a little bit different from what you traditionally think of as like a horror game, you know, like zombies or slasher movies or whatever, you know? There may be zombies involved in this game. Right. It's an interesting tweak on that, (laughs) which we'll get to. Um, But yeah, so this game uh, was developed by Jasper Byrne, who initially kind of caught the attention of horror gamers because he did a 16-bit demake of the opening of Silent Hill 2. Uh, mm. And it was called Soundless Mountain 2, which is <laughs> that's pretty good. I'll give him that one. Um, but yeah, it was like sort of a top-down, you know, 2D remake of that opening stretch of Silent Hill 2. And I think it's up to where he enters the town. Mm. Um, nice. And it was super cool. It was just like a browser flash game that made the rounds. And people were freaking out about it. And I was too. I remember this. <laughs> And it was people were like, dude, make the whole game, please. And he did something yeah. better, which is that he made his own original game. Yeah, and this game rules, so everyone wins. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so as far as the Silent Hill influence, I mean, the scenario, the monster designs, and the sort of degraded and continually degrading world really heavily call back to Silent Hill. Mm-hmm. Like the deeper you go into the world, the more you see it sort of turn into this kind of fleshy hell world. Um, <laughs> the basic overworld is just like a crumbling city, like in Silent Hill, and then it just gets weirder and scarier as you go along. Um, there isn't really a stated reason for why this is happening, like in the later Silent Hill games, um, mm. but it's just sort of you just accept that it's happening. <laughs> There's some gamer theories, though. Oh, yes. There are many gamer theories. <laughs> uh, well, and this is one thing that's interesting. Uh, another interview I was reading, he was saying that he was really influenced by, I think, the original Silent Hill. I don't know if he explicitly said that, but I'm kind of interpreting it that way. But Silent Hill 1 and Twin Beaks, um, he was very influenced by because they're narratives that are open-ended and leave room for player interpretation. Mm, yeah. Right? And this game is super open-ended, maybe to a fault in the end. We'll talk about it later. <laughs> no, I like it. And it gets people talking. Yeah, exactly. But it's like, it's extreme. I mean, the ending is just kind of like there. And it's like, oh, okay. <laughs> hey, anytime you can get gamers to think. <laughs> yeah, true. A Herculean task. <laughs> um, but yeah, so he was very influenced by these things because you can create an open-ended narrative and have people come up with their own theories and interpretations. Um, mm. So this game definitely leans into that heavily. So if you like that stuff, like this game is like candy. You're going to like it. <laughs> um, so they're all, in addition to that, there's a lot of little nods to Silent Hill. Um, the item sound effect is like uh. straight out of Silent Hill. <laughs> there's the flashlight that you clip to the front of your shirt of course mm-hmm. um 
The monster designs are very heavily influenced by Jacob's Ladder. And they're sort of like fleshy humanoids with twitchy heads. Uh, yeah. Which is very, very Silent Hill. And of course, there's a lot of little rooms and areas that have just a general Silent Hill look to them. Like there'll be bloody messages scrawled on the walls or, you know. Oh, totally. Yeah. Even the stage design is like heavily Silent Hill inspired. Um, because I mean, I would say, you know, two thirds of the game is his apartment building. And that feels so much like the school from Silent Hill. Yeah. Um, the way some, you know, the way your progression is blocked in different ways. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And it's also kind of got that sort of nonsense progression from Silent Hill mm-hmm. 1, where there's certain yeah. times where you just need to trigger something to get through, or you need to revisit an area because something has changed without you knowing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a lot like the school uh, in SH1, or like the apartment building in SH2. Yep. Uh, there's a lot of influence on the scenario design from those areas. It might it might be even more vague than a Silent Hill game. Uh, I feel like I would have been really stuck in, at certain points if it wasn't for the internet helping me. Yeah, the way they mark stuff on the map is really interesting. Because, like, you get an annotated map, like in Silent Hill, but then the way it tells you where to go is just big, with a big question mark, uh, which is very <laughs> appropriate because you might get to that question mark and not know what the fuck to do. Right. Yeah, especially in the basement, I think was probably where I was most like, "What?" <laughs> yeah, that—that's exactly what I'm thinking. Yeah, and that's about what more than halfway through the game. Yeah, and there's also sort of like a boss type sequence there that's really difficult, and mm-hmm. he kind of purposefully made that part of the game super difficult and off-putting, which is kind of interesting. Uh, Maybe kind of like a Silent Hill game. Uh, I've always thought of Silent Hill games as not having linear difficulty. Uh, Hmm. There's usually like kind of more like roadblocks. Yeah. Uh, And he had said, once again, in one of these interviews I I read, he was talking about how he made that whole sequence like really difficult. He wanted it to be just like, because you're like, you're in the basement, you're in the depths. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So and it's not like a a Silent Hill style horrible boss. No. It's actually just like more of a difficult sequence. Yeah. For sure. Well, and that's you know, that's interesting too because uh that sequence is all about navigation and knowing the area, which it's like I actually knew the area pretty well cuz I'd gotten so lost and confused just trying to get to that point in the game. Uh But it's also just a little bit of vagueness on the part of the game in general, because, like, you may not have known that there's a pause button. (laughs) Yeah. And that's, like, that's how you beat that section of the game, is, like, with the pause button and, like, a map open on another screen. (laughs) Oh, I just died 300 times until I memorized the layout. Oh, yeah. (laughs) There's that, too. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, like I, I don't actually know if the game, the game barely tells you anything. We'll get into it more, yeah. but like, well, since you brought this up, uh, I didn't know there was a pause button because there's no controller support for this damn game. Mm. <laughs> and I had to use X pattern to set it up and that's always not fun. Yeah. And there's no excuse because this has been ported to like 
every console. It even got a Wii U port, and you're telling me the PC port can't get controller support? Yeah, like on, I buddy. said, this guy has, seems like he was just trying to get out of game design. <laughs> so it's yeah. like there's just really basic shit. Like the PC version is the original PC version that came out. Oh, is it? Yeah. <laughs> in you know well maybe 2013 because it's like the director's cut but it's the mm-hmm. original version from 2013 um yeah it's kind of wild but yeah like there's a there's one area in your apartment that you can go and read the controls of the game you can't access it from a menu while you're playing and <laughs> it's laid out in a weird way so certain things are easy to miss so i either missed it or i just didn't know there was a pause button until i was like halfway through the game and then i looked it up online <laughs> i was like is there a pause button and the answer is yes it's p totally yeah p. but yeah we'll get into it this game does not tell you shit <laughs> yeah especially i mean there's this mechanic with pills uh-huh. I still don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> yeah. Well, I will tell you uh, when we get to it. So obviously another big influence on this game is David Lynch and specifically Twin Peaks. Like, oh, yeah, there is a ton of Twin Peaks. Well, it's most well to me. It's mostly the dream sequences from Twin Peaks mm-hmm. and the lodge sequences, of course. And then a big sprinkling of uh Mulholland Drive. Yeah. Uh, because it feels like a lot of the dream sequences are like on a theater stage or something. Yeah. Yeah. So, but the the dreams in Mulholland Drive and in Twin Peaks are probably like the same exact thing. Yeah. In a different way. Well, and the dream sequences in Twin Peaks kind of involve these strange entities. They're almost, I would refer to them as cryptic cryptids. Like Mm. there's giants and weird little men and like, you know, a guy with a tree with a brain on it. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) exactly. And this game has that same feel where it's like you dream and you meet some sort of strange character. They speak cryptically to you and then something that they do bleeds into waking life. Mm hmm. And the other thing, too, that this game does to really, you know, signal to you that it's on some Lynch shit is that it uses sound (laughs) cues and music. So some of the music in these dream sequences is just like Twin Peaks music. Oh, totally. Yeah. You know, like some fucking roadhouse rock starts playing. You're like, oh, yeah. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Reverb. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. So it's 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 very influenced by that. And also, like I said earlier, just like sort of vague narrative that's open to the player's interpretation, sort of strange metaphysics that you can't quite parse or figure out. Um, But it's really cool. I think it's a really cool combination of having this like, quote unquote, real world that's vague and weird in the way of a Silent Hill game and then having a dream world that you continually visit that's weird and vague in the way that Twin Peaks is. So, like you mentioned, in these dreams, you meet a bunch of NPCs uh, that are, like, dream characters. Mm-hmm. And just like in Twin Peaks, you it's hard to tell if they're, like, good or bad entities mm-hmm. because they all act so strange. Um, yeah, it's, there's just, like, a 
giant ambiguity with all of the dreamy NPCs you meet in this game. Yeah, it's super cool. And it definitely feeds the narrative um, in a way that I think is more interesting than most traditional survival horror games. Mm. Because you spend a lot of time just puzzling about what's going on and, you know, who is what. And I don't know, it's, it's very cool. I like it. Okay, to talk about some of the more mechanical stuff in the game, I think one of the big surprising things for me, at least the first time that I played it, was that it's a survival horror game. <laughs> like, it's <laughs> yeah. not like a weird gimmick or it's not some sort of, you know, stripped down version of a survival horror game. It's just a survival horror game. Yeah, um, when you run out of bullets in this game, you're like royally screwed. Well, sort uh, of. <laughs> there, there's no uh, melee attack, right? No. So yeah, once you're out of bullets, you just have to run back to your apartment and do some, some finagling to get more ammo. Yeah, for sure. So yeah, the traditional item management stuff is absolutely here. Um, you have ammo and batteries as a baseline. Like those are the two things that you need. And for most of the game, they're pretty scarce. So you have uh, you know ammo for your pistol. You have one gun, just a pistol. You, there's a funny sequence where he goes to like a gun shop and he's talking about how he doesn't like the other guns because <laughs> they're too big and noisy. Um, yeah. Which is kind of If you cool. look at it again, he just says, not my style. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's like a chainsaw and like a couple shotguns, and he's just like, nah. <laughs> yeah. Come on, dude. Um, but so bet you have batteries for your flashlight. Um, the flashlight in some areas just helps you see, but in a lot of other areas, it lets you pick up and interact with items. Um, yeah. It seems really critical during the beginning of the game, and then the mechanics kind of forgotten about towards the end. Well, I think it's kind of cool. There are, throughout the game, evenly placed items that you can't pick up unless you have the flashlight. Right. Um, and the other thing, too, is that towards the end of the game, there's more areas where you have to turn your flashlight off for really long stretches of the game, which I think is really cool and atmospheric. Because mm. in those parts, too, your map is darker. So when you open the map screen, it's darker. Yeah. Um, and so it's it's kind of cool that, yeah, initially it's like the flashlight is there to help you see, but then later it's like more of a mechanic you can choose to use or not. Mm. Um, yeah, and you need batteries for it. Uh, and like everything in this game, you don't get a meter. Like, you just know how many batteries you have, and you might figure out roughly how long a battery lasts, but it doesn't tell you that like, oh, your battery's almost out. Your flashlight just fucking turns off. Oh. Yeah, well, it does become like really dim towards mm -hmm. the end, which is kind of cool. It's super cool. I just think it's yeah. really cool and kind of scary just when it like clicks off. Um, yeah. So when you're trying to avoid enemies as you would in like a 3D survival horror game, it is a little different. There are hiding spots you can use mm -hmm. um, in certain areas, but those are like placed and scripted so you can like go into them and avoid enemies you can also lure enemies with rotten meat and then hide in a hiding spot which is yeah cool yeah it, it they're kind of like outcroppings in the background that you just like squish into the background to like move to the side yeah yeah and that's a cool solution to not being able to run because obviously side-scrolling perspective 
means that you can't just run from enemies like you would in the 3D survival horror game. Like, you can't mm-hmm. juke around a zombie, right? Yeah, I tried. <laughs> but the game actually puts in another mechanic that it, once again, kind of doesn't tell you about and you have to just figure it out, is that there are flares. So yeah. you can drop a flare and it has kind of an area of effect and it makes enemies not attack you and you can run past them. So the two problems with this is that the area is sometimes small. So you might need up to like three or four flares to get through like a long hallway without combat. And the game is a little bit vague about how you get more. And it basically involves doing two different side quests to stockpile flares. And I didn't know this. Yeah. So I was like up the creek. Yeah, so once I got the flares, which is about like a third of the way through the game, I didn't really use my gun anymore. Wow. Uh, because you can stockpile them. But James, you didn't know that, so you you were just rocking and rolling. <laughs> yeah, I mean, towards the end of the game, I think I killed every bad guy in the game. Uh, yeah. Just because I was patient and knew how to farm ammo. Yeah. I had no idea how to farm flares, so I was out of flares really early. So that raises an interesting point, which is that there are side quests in the game. And the main point of these side quests is to stockpile more items. Yeah. So I would say like two thirds into the game, you're able to finally leave his apartment building and you can get into the town. And that really opens up the gameplay um, because it's sort of free roam ish. In sort of like a River City Ransom kind of way, where you can just kind of go around town. Yeah, that's or, cool. Or in like a um, uh, Mystical Ninja sort of way. Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah. But um, you can find ways to farm the things you need, like food and ammo and flares. Uh, early in the game, if you run out of food, you have to eat a pill to go into a uh, specific dream. And then the NPCs in the dream will either give you food or ammo. Right. After you get to the the city part, you can start doing these side quests and you meet people in town that'll give you the same thing. Right. And those side quests are actually way more productive because basically there's one dude who you can trade pills for ammo. Mm-hmm. And you can actually get a lot of ammo doing that. But cuts out a step. Yeah. There's another dude (laughs) who you can trade the ammo for flares. And if you do that, like in the span of two or three days, you can like, you can stockpile a ton of flares. Like I said, I didn't really use my gun for the whole last stretch of the game. And I still had flares left at the end of the game. Yeah. So there's just a weird mechanic. Like if you go to your apartment and go in the bathroom, you'll find blue and green pills like each time or at least once a day. Yeah. And then in town, there's a cardboard box where you can get food out of. Yeah. There's a a gun store owner that you can get, you can trade for bullets. Uh, And then there's the other guy that you mentioned that you can trade bullets for flares. Right. So you can just kind of like do these like looping acts and, just farm food and yeah. flares. Yeah, it's, totally. It's bizarre, but it works in a yeah. weird way. Yeah, it's super cool. Um, okay, so let's talk about the less traditional part of this game, which is that there are survival game mechanics, 
which mm-hmm. we've already mentioned a bunch, so we should just talk about them. But uh, yeah. so the first is that you have to eat and you have to sleep. Uh, and <laughs> like I mentioned earlier, there's no like meters or bars in this game. Like you don't even have a health meter. Uh, it's just right. like your screen flashes red when you're hurt. And when you need to eat and sleep, your character says like, I'm hungry or I need to sleep. <laughs> yeah. Um, which like dude sleeps a lot. He must be depressed. He is depressed. It's kind of a part of the point <laughs> of the game. Uh, but yeah. Okay. So the sleeping mechanic is pretty simple. It's basically your character when they're tired says I'm tired and you should go to bed. Uh, sleeping. They, all- they, they actually complain about going to bed hungry. So you have to make sure you eat before you go to bed. Yeah. But so sleeping saves the game and starts a new day. Uh, yeah, I like this because it's actually similar to friends of Ringo Ishikawa, which we just talked about, mm-hmm. uh, where it's basically like you need to plan what you want to get done in a day and you have to balance it against when you want to save your game. Mm-hmm. So like, because if you sleep too much and save your game too much, your character actually gets depressed. <laughs> uh, <laughs> And it's kind of like in Ringo Ishikawa, if you save too much, you just progress time too much and you'll just hit the end of the game because it's there's a rough. Mm. It, I don't think it's exact, but there's like roughly a certain amount of days that the game uh, takes place over. So you don't want to advance your game too much, but you also don't want to like go fight a boss or go do a really hard challenge without saving. Right. Um, yeah. I did that a couple times on this playthrough and I fucked myself and I had to replay like Oof. sort of longer sections of the game. Um, so yeah. And then the other big thing you have to do is you have to eat, uh, which actually opens up its own set of mechanics. <laughs> yeah. And you also have to like find the things you're going to cook with. Mm-hmm. So you have to find like a kettle and a, and a pan <laughs> before you can like cook certain things. Yeah, exactly. Like there's a lot of stuff that you can just find and eat uh, but your character doesn't like certain foods yeah. and you want to avoid those. So you're either kind of eating stuff that is good without cooking or you're collecting all the stuff you need to cook, which is, it's pretty involved. Like if you actually want to cook the good food in the game. Yeah. And there's even combining food. Yeah. Yep. So, so you, can, you can put like cheese and crackers together. <laughs> yeah. And he yells cheese and crackers. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> which is kind of cool but so beyond just the basic necessity the reason that you want to be careful about like when you sleep and what your character eats is the big survival mechanic in the game which is also the most hidden mechanic in the game but it's the most important yep. which is mental health <laughs> your character actually has mental health and you have to take care of this character so that they don't uh get too depressed yeah my guy was in a bad state yeah he was he was sad angry and violent exactly (laughs) so okay this is a really interesting part of this game i think it's sort of the big defining thing about this game that separates it from like almost every other horror game i've played um i noted here the only other game that i've really seen it in is the cat lady uh Mm. and even at that it's very minor it's like more like an idea in that game but it's really done well in this game like it's actually a huge part of it uh the double-edged sword about it is that they don't tell you any of this shit (laughs) so like there's no guide there's no meters it kind of like 
it hints at it and then people just figure it out or maybe you figure it out. It is pretty intuitive, which is cool. Now that I'm thinking of it, maybe we, uh, so you just like in, uh, evil within one, you use mirrors to fast travel. Mm -hmm. And sometimes when he's looking in the mirror, he'll say something like, I don't like what I see. Yeah. Maybe that's like, uh, an indicator of your mental health that no, that is, that's the only indicator. So like my guy always said, like, oh, I'm doing okay. Or like, oh, I'm not doing that bad. Oh, okay. Um, because my final score on my mental health was a C minus. So wow. <laughs> I was doing My poor okay. character. Yeah. <laughs> I filled him. Um, now, okay, before we get too deep into this, I did want to mention, uh, this is kind of spoilery, I would say. Like, this game it's sort of up to you and your interpretation of it, but I think there's a compelling argument that you're not supposed to know this stuff when you play the game. So we're about to like game pro pro tip the (laughs) shit out of this. So if you are wanting to play this game completely blind and just try and do it your way and not know anything, you might want to pause this and go play the game and then come back and listen. (laughs) It's too late. Yeah, uh, we're eh. already too deep. But I'm just saying, <laughs> I'm just saying, because I don't want people to be upset that we spoiled the game for them. Yeah, I went into this one completely blind, and my character was a wreck. <laughs> yeah, and the first time I played it, I did the same thing. <laughs> and I mean, this playthrough, because I knew this stuff, I tried to do a good job, and I did an okay job. Mm. So that was kind of cool. Yeah, uh, kind of like real life, <laughs> but. <laughs> yeah okay look in the mirror i'm doing okay i'm doing okay yeah (laughs) uh so okay basically there are certain factors that contribute to your character's mental health um so like we mentioned earlier there's sleeping you want to sleep when your character tells you to um you, you can use a pill to stay up longer uh red pill red pill but stay woke. So, no, no, James. <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, those red pills. So, but you don't want to do that. The ideal thing is just to sleep when your character wants to sleep. Mm-hmm. Um, you also don't want to starve your character, but you also want them to eat uh, quote unquote, like proper food. So mm-hmm. meals you cook or food that is good, uncooked or food that they like. You know, I, f- I finished the game with a freaking ham in my pocket and I never found the pot to cook the ham. Yeah, totally. <laughs> <laughs> Just had that ham in your backpack. I mean, I really wanted to have him eat that ham. Yeah, for sure. Well, yeah, so you get stuff that, you know, you're supposed to eat cooked. You also get food that you can choose to cook or eat raw and it's like better cooked but your character will like a raw and there's stuff that you're just not supposed to eat like there's spoiled food he doesn't like uh seafood so like you're not on a stick squid on a stick and prawn crackers you want to avoid those i made him eat all those yeah see that was why he was so sad (laughs) it's all we had i did hook him up with some espresso every once in a while which is really weird because you need to collect water from a leak in your ceiling yeah with a bucket yeah yeah anyways (laughs) very strange but yeah well that's an interesting thing too is that like coffee makes your character happy but you don't want to do it more than once a day really so if you make your character like drink coffee like i drink coffee in real life he'll be sad (laughs) 
which yeah, is I like, might have to try this. Yeah, no, fuck that. Uh, and of course, you can adopt a cat. Yeah. So like, you gotta you gotta adopt the cat. <laughs> if you don't adopt the cat in this game, I can't be your friend. <laughs> God damn. Um, <laughs> but okay, and so those are the basic mechanic for mental health. But there's a huge, huge mechanic that hangs over the whole game, which are the pills. Mm. And that's kind of the most obvious mental health thing that's going on in this game, uh, is that there's pills. It's so confusing, though. Yes. Like, I, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> so, okay, there's three types of pills. There's blue, green, and red pills. Mm-hmm. Um, the red pill, like we said earlier, actually has an effect on you when you're awake. The other two pills don't have an effect on you when you're awake. You basically take them and you have to go to sleep. But they also make you have different dreams and basically like the different dream sequences uh will show you a different cutscene and then give you an item when you wake up right so if you take the green pills you either get batteries or food which you have a dream about like a guy with a box on his head yes and he seems to be a like a positive figure yeah like he you're having, gives you like moments of inspiration you're having a weird circuitous conversation with him that's kind of unnerving but yeah it does ultimately seem to be more positive than anyone else you talk to in the game mm-hmm. um so you take the blue pills and then that's when you talk to the guy on like the stage in the chair and he seems to be more of an antagonizing force yeah he's the one that gives you ammo when you wake up right when you wake up, you basically find these items in your backpack. Yeah, the blue pills, you fall asleep, you have a dream of a dude on a stage who's more of a negative figure who antagonizes you, and then you wake up with ammo in your pocket. <laughs> <laughs> Not, no symbolism or deeper meaning at all to that. Nope. Nope. Um, but yeah, so it's it's interesting because all of these different dream places are organically introduced to you like the first time you die in the game you see the blue pill guy uh yeah without taking a pill and he says if you want to see me again do this and i i believe it's the same with the green pill guy um but what you don't know you know explicitly or you have to figure out or have told to you is that what pills you take determine what ending you get in the game and they also have an effect on your mental health this game tells you none of this so right you really have to like i don't know i guess people just figured it out on the internet and wrote guides but yeah yeah this game tells you nothing well yeah and if you want to get the good ending you're only supposed to take green pills really but you also can't take too many green pills and you know you've taken too many of any pill because your character will have a comment like, oh, I'm really starting to rely on these. Um, mm. Which I found because I was just taking green pills. But there's also a lot of like, there's a lot of weird like hearsay. And I don't know if this is from people who've done multiple playthroughs and looked at the report you get. Because at the end of the game, you get a mental health report. Right. Um, it sums up what your character's mental state was, but then also tells you what factors contributed to your mental state. And it's like a super long list. It's like eight pages or something. Yeah, it's like how many times you talk to your cat and shit. 
Yeah, exactly. <laughs> some of this stuff might be internet hearsay, and some of it might be just a little thing that they read in that report. But like, I read online just doing research, people are like, "Oh, you shouldn't run out of green pills." So weird. You should take green pills at regular intervals. You shouldn't take them every day, but you also shouldn't ever like run out of them because your character gets stressed or something. <laughs> so strange. Thank you for listening to Zero Brightness. If you'd like to support us directly, you can go to patreon.com slash zero brightness. You can also find and interact with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Discord. All the relevant links are at zerobrightness.com. We'll see you out there. I think it all points to something that's really interesting about this mechanic, which is that it really gets under people's skin because it's so like close to real life you know (laughs) like if you eat like shit and you're not you know regular with the drugs and stuff you put in your body or you just do weird Mm. you take too many drugs or whatever like (laughs) you start to freak out and you don't feel good um yeah and so i think it's really interesting to poke around the internet and see how it has like affected people's view of this game and i think it's one of the really cool things about this game that it really gets under your skin with this stuff yeah and it's not like it's not like a survival game like i don't know subnautica or no man's sky where you'll just like die from starvation Mm -hmm. or like die if you don't take care of yourself like you can still keep playing the game and nothing is going to happen until all the horrible things start to happen in the end Right. And like, I don't know, like when I first started this playthrough, like I said, I was like, okay, I'm going to try and like have my character be well balanced and like Mm -hmm. have a good mental state. And it it was interesting because like early on when he wasn't doing great, it was like depressing. I was like, fuck. (laughs) And it seems like, I don't know. I don't know if this is just me projecting, but like when I didn't have good food for him to eat, he would get tired really fast. You know, things like that. Like, yeah. No, totally. Once again, I, I think some of this is in the game, but also some of it is just like people projecting while yeah. playing the game, you know, which I think is genius. It's one of my favorite <laughs> things about this game that they made this like simple 2D flash type game that can have such a powerful effect on people. Yeah. And I think it's also with the graphics and the sound and the general atmosphere it creates. Like it's really heavy. Yeah. Then I think it's super cool. The excessive vagary goes both ways. Mm -hmm. You know, it's cool and like very frustrating at certain points. Yeah. Well, and that's why I kind of threw that little spoiler warning in there because it's like, I think for some people, this game will be more enjoyable knowing how these systems work. Mm. But I also think there's maybe something kind of awesome about playing this game and not knowing how anything works. Like, there is some magic in that. There's also frustration in that. <laughs> yeah, totally. There's there's a couple points where you're going to want to look up what to do on the internet. Right. Well, and that's also sort of reflected in the play style. So we talked about a little bit earlier. You can play this game many different ways. So, mm-hmm. okay, another thing that contributes to your mental health that I don't think we mentioned is that you're not supposed to kill enemies if you want good health. Like, yeah. killing enemies negatively affects your character. So... You have flares, you want to stockpile and use flares instead of attacking every monster that you come across. 
Right. So if you know how to get them, if you know how to get them. So you have to explore a lot. You have to figure out these side quests like blah, blah, blah. I mean, and it's really just one little line with one NPC that tells you like, hey, I'll trade you ammo for flares. And if you miss mm-hmm. that, you won't know yeah. that. And then you have to figure out how to do it because if you go talk to him, he doesn't offer that to you. He just says right. like, oh, I don't have anything for you. And you have to I got go nothing in, for you. You have yeah. to go in your inventory and like give it to him. Um but it's just it's cool because when you play the game that way, you have a totally different playthrough and a totally different experience, like than someone who decides to like go through and just fight everything. You know, um, I think it's really interesting. It makes it so that on every level you can play this game differently, and you can mm-hmm. have like a different playthrough from someone else and a different experience. Yeah, it almost feels. I mean. I might be sound, sounding like I'm negative on this game, but it's like really good. But there is jank involved, and sometimes it almost feels like it's broken because it's not telling you how to heal or how to get healing items or how to get food, things like that. Especially if you go in blind and you're not aware of the veiled mechanics of the game. Yeah, totally. I I agree. I mean, I think you're right. I also think that the game commits to it so seriously that it must mm. be a choice. Like totally. Yeah. It must have been specifically what the developer intended because it's so complete. Like it's not like the game tells you how to do one thing and doesn't tell you how to do another thing. It just doesn't tell you how to do anything. <laughs> and it's I I might be, you know, off my rocket here, but there's sort of a meta game to horror games where like jank is just part of it and it adds to the aesthetic. You know, even games like, you know, Lost in Vivo, it builds in like little Unity glitches, like mm-hmm. Unity errors on screen, like a, a a print screen of theirs. Things like that. Like I feel like jank just adds a little bit of tension to uh horror games. Oh yeah. For sure. And I mean, yeah, like the feel of the combat and the certain mechanics in this game, it's not great. Like, mm. and that's totally part of the experience. I, I 100% agree. Like, I'm, we've, we've talked about this on the show before. I'm not one of those people that's like, tank controls were awesome because they made these games scary. Like, no, 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 no. But <laughs> at the same time, yes, like the jank has become part of the genre it's part of the experience and it does add tension and it's like in any other art form where certain touches that make something seem a little bit homemade or a little bit stitched together can add to the atmosphere and add to the Mm -hmm. experience. You know, it's like, we're not asking for everything to be, you know, Michael Bay's transformers or whatever. (laughs) Like that's horrifying. Grown adults watch that shit. Can you believe that? That's the real survival horror is grown men watching Mel Bay's transformers. All right, so let's move on and talk a little bit about the story and the scenario. What I think is interesting about the scenario in this game is it's like a mix of a zombie outbreak and a Silent Hill. Like, they did a Silent Hill, but also zombies. Specifically at SH2, because it's very personal uh, story, mental healthy kind of... uh, I don't know. There's like a lot of grief involved. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So 
your character, you play as a character named you. You <laughs> don't have a name. Is uh, that a fan thing or is that a real thing? Well, in the game, it's subtitled as like you. Oh, okay. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so you is trying to find other survivors of what he vaguely describes as like a pandemic outbreak. You know, mm-hmm. he says that there is a disease and it turns people into things, but this is all very vague and you don't even have any, anything close to confirmation of this until you meet, uh, the NPC who owns the gun shop, Hank, mm. uh, who is slowly turning into a zombie in a way that is very recognizable to horror gamers, you know, um, sure. Your character also can't remember anything and seems to be an extremely unreliable narrator. Mm -hmm. So I think in addition to all the Silent Hill iconography that you see in the game, that's also makes the game have a more Silent Hill feel to it because it's really unclear if what you're seeing is actually like a pandemic outbreak zombie sort of thing, or if it's just they do in a Silent Hill. Yeah. It it also tackles the same themes as Silent Hill 4, mm-hmm. like with the uh, shut-in Hikomori kind of subculture and um, just general, like, I don't know, like feeling like alienated around your neighbors and things like that. Yeah, totally. I mean, that's like kind of a big point early in the game where yeah. he just sort of vaguely remembers some certain people that live by him, but like... He also finds an NPC who he doesn't know who lives next door to him. <laughs> the yeah. director, you know? Yeah. Um, so just some notes about the world. Um, it's really cool. It's very degraded and strange. And at certain points, it seems to get worse in like a weird and psychedelic way that is very mm-hmm. reminiscent of Silent Hill. Yep. Like things are crumbling and broken, but also some like the basement is full of fleshy walls for some reason. Tasty. and the aforementioned bizarre dream sequences are a big point like and they seem to be tied to the environment so like there's points where you just look at something and you have like a crazy dream sequence yeah like a spotlight will come like pop up and then like uh, a dream character will be there right for sure stuff (laughs) yeah and i mean if it sounds like we're being really vague this game is really really vague like (laughs) So, like, when you have these dream sequences, you see these characters, but none of them are named. And they all just kind of vaguely suggest that you know them or you know what is going on, right? Yeah. It's like, guy with a box on his head. Yep. Guy in a blue jacket. Guy with a white face. Yeah. Woman in a blue dress, right? Yeah. And, you know, they're, they're, it seems to suggest that this woman in a blue dress is sort of the focal point of the story mm. uh, but you don't get many more details you just get a lot of kind of weird confusing dream sequences and cutscenes, which are all really cool you do read some notes and it, uh, diary pages that reference a character called her mm-hmm. but that's really all I can tell you about them yeah well the game is interesting because you can collect diary pages and you can also read a diary that's in your room so mm-hmm. the diary pages are from the past but the one in your room is from the present and it changes every day 
so you can like keep reading your diary and get different little tidbits and little observations on the world uh, which is really cool that's a mechanic I've seen in some other games and I always think it's really neat kind of like getting another perspective on what's going on around you yeah I did get a lot of stuff out of order in this game okay because I, uh, um, it, it may have just been the way I played but since my items were so scarce because I didn't know how to farm them early on uh, I left a lot of bad guys in the apartment building and then later on when I learned how to farm their items I went back and really explored the apartments and oh. found a bunch of stuff out of order interesting uh, yeah that's crazy yeah I think I did things mostly in order if anything I was slower because I wasn't using my gun so I was mm. like I would spend a whole day just farming items once I could and then I would go to sleep and wake up and do it again and then yeah. go and like do my next objective you know yeah i wonder how differently different people play this game there's so many different ways you can play this game this is especially true once you get to the second half of the game which you where you get out of the apartment building and you enter into the city um this is really where the game opens up uh there are optional areas with items um and there are also side quests so mm -hmm. yeah like we mentioned earlier you find the owner of the gun store there's the director who lives like next door to you that you've known about for most of the game and then there's also a uh like a grocery store you can break into and get food from yeah there's a magic box that replenishes food every day yeah <laughs> yeah and these certain like parts of these side quests introduce even more side quests so with the director he'll give you items and stuff that he finds you can also trade bullets for flares with him but he also wants mm -hmm. sleepy cat comics <laughs> which are clearly just garfield comics which is really really funny um <laughs> like you're in a zombie silent hill apocalypse collecting garfield comics yeah i love that your character loves them too if you actually read them yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, what's interesting is that so a lot of the stuff, the director is there to give you concrete stuff you need, like flares and food and et cetera, et cetera. But a lot mm -hmm. of his quests actually center around like leisure stuff that you can actually use to increase your character's mental health. So you can get a PSP from him. Yeah. <laughs> and it takes a battery every time you use it, which sucks. But uh, you can play some PSP on your couch and have a good time. Yeah. Uh, you can also, so he wants these sleepy cat comics, which you can collect and give to him for cat food, but you can also read them and that improves your mental state. <laughs> and of course the big purpose of them, you trade the comics for cat food, which once you get out into the city, you can use to lure a cat into your apartment. <laughs> <laughs> this game is basically my life and I'm deeply disturbed by it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly so there's like a cat that you meet at certain points in the city and if you do it if you do every encounter with it right you like lure it back to your apartment and then adopt it as your own and then like you can talk to it and you can pet it which basically makes mm -hmm. this you know the best game in the world because not only can you pet the cat but you can adopt it and you can name it yeah it's like silent hill but you can pet the cat yeah, beyond that, there's, you know, there's just parts of the city that you can explore to find more items um, and get a little bit more sort of like environmental detail in the world. 
which is of course cool. is a retro arcade yeah <laughs> you can't drop any coins into the splatterhouse cab though yeah well it's all stuff games that he worked on <laughs> Oh, is it? Yeah, it's just all the developers' old games, which is pretty cool. I guess one thing we didn't talk about, too, is uh, I think the navigation and the exploration in this game is really cool because there's uh, fast travel Mm -hmm. through mirrors. We did mention it earlier that, like, the mirrors are the meter of how your mental health is doing, but it's also a fast travel mechanic. Mm -hmm. So, like, if you use one, you can go back to your apartment and then you can use the mirror in your apartment to go back to that point and it just resets every time you use one yeah unfortunately you can't choose which mirror to warp back to which would be cool but uh yeah i mean it makes sense and it's never a detriment you never like screw yourself by using a a mirror far off yeah i just thought it was cool because it let you you know explore as much as you want and never feel like you were too far from home um, right. I think especially if you're not killing all the monsters, uh, the traversal in this game can be kind of treacherous. Mm-hmm. So it's nice to feel like you can go back home and they're occasionally placed as checkpoints before, you know, the two sort of like boss encounters in the game. Yeah, there is a little bit of Dark Souls style uh, loop back shortcuts. Um, yeah, two thirds of the way through the game, you can. Uh, unlock the fire escape on your apartment and get right down to the city street. Yeah. Things like that. Yeah. You can unlock uh, stairs in the apartment building. Yeah. Once again, super, super satisfying when you do that. <laughs> yeah. It's like that. Yes. <laughs> I've been waiting. Yeah, just when you tie like, like far parts of the world together in shortcuts, that's always, I don't know. Yeah. Well, and once again, I think, everything we're talking about it's just so impressive because it's in a fucking 2d side-scrolling game Mm -hmm. that like could have been on the super nintendo for everything except the music you know should be really yeah (laughs) this should be running off a cart (laughs) yeah it should be on a game boy advance rom right oh yeah totally that'd be sick absolutely so there are a couple sort of like boss encounters in the game we mentioned one of them earlier which is, it's more of a chase sequence. Kind of weird and frustrating, but ultimately I do think it's kind of cool. It's very tense and and scary. So like he's blocking the exit of the apartment building. It's just like this big monster guy. Right. Uh, There's an elevator by him and there's sort of like a big environmental puzzle about getting into the basement, turning on the elevator power, and then having him ride the elevator down and getting him stuck in the basement so you can exit the apartment building. Yeah totally and the basement is kind of just like a giant mazy loop yeah and uh when you get him out of the uh elevator you kind of have to be chased by him through the giant mazy loop until you can get back to the elevator and ride it back up and make him stuck down there yeah exactly yeah yeah it's actually really cool it definitely takes a few tries and like i mentioned earlier you need to have managed your sleeping so you have a save that's like in the advantageous place yeah um so it definitely introduces some difficulty in that regard but it's cool i mean the other boss is very similar where it's like except this one you actually have to fight um and it's like right before the end of the game basically Mm-hmm. And that one, it's a similar thing. There's a mirror right before it, so you can go home, but you need to make sure that, like, you have the amount of ammo you need and that, like, you have a save right before there because it took me a few tries. 
Really? Yeah. I just shot it six million times in the head. <laughs> yeah, that's what you're supposed to do, but I forgot that. So initially I tried to like run and then I was like backed up <laughs> against the wall and you can't do that. You die. <laughs> yeah, I had much more problems with the mid boss. Um, but I think as uh, gameplay design, it's more interesting than the last boss. Yeah, totally. I was happy that this game didn't do the Silent Hill, like, big evil baby at the end thing that they always do. <laughs> I didn't want that. I don't want that big evil baby. Nothing wrong with big evil babies. Side note, I've been watching a lot of movies lately with infanticide. Oh, I think yeah. that's a new trend in 2019. Yeah. Babies dying in movies. Talk to Monica about it. Her rule is that if a movie kills a baby, that movie is, like, down to clown. Like... <laughs> That's how you know they they ain't fucking around. Oh, they they're like super not fucking around in that new witch movie, Algazusa. Yeah, yeah. Good luck googling that one, gamers. <laughs> Just Google which movie. That movie is sick. Which movie where they done went and killed a baby? Anyway, what the fuck were we talking about? Infanticide. Right. So babies kill them. <laughs> you heard it, gamers. You heard it here first. You heard it here first. Um. Well, here's a question. Not related to that. Uh, are we going to talk about the ending? Should we talk about the ending? Yeah, I mean, we absolutely should. Okay, so if you haven't already stopped listening, uh, <laughs> spoiler alert, we're going to talk about the ending. Plural. Endings. Yeah, so this game technically has five endings. There's a couple of them that are only in the director's cut and are basically just like Easter eggs, so we're not going to talk about those. Um, you don't like the dance party? <laughs> All right, okay. we talked about one. All right, yeah. So they made a Silent Hill joke ending. Over. Uh, <laughs> the game, you basically get th- three different endings. There's like bad minus bad and good, I guess. They all seem kind of bad, though. Yeah. Welcome to horror games. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. None of them are like fantastic, you know. He saved the world. Yeah. <laughs> so the let's talk about the the good ending um the good ending basically if you keep your mental health above a certain level you get this i would say it's more like the neutral ending right Mm. um and like i said the easiest way to do it is to not kill stuff and to only take green pills don't take any other pills (laughs) and (laughs) Basically what it is, is it's very vague, but at the end of the game, you go to a hospital and you sort of get a flashback to the woman in the game who we still Mm -hmm. don't know who she is, but clearly was important to you, capital Y in quotation marks. (laughs) Uh, And she was in some sort of accident. You, so you said earlier in the game, it references a bus accident, which I didn't, I didn't know that. Yeah. Because later in the game, you go through like a crushed up bus to, and it's like Mm -hmm. a puzzle where you have to collect items from around the city to get through this crushed up bus. And then you fight the last boss and then go to the hospital and you see that like this person was in some sort of horrific accident. They passed away and your character has basically been in some sort of depressive episode since that time. And I think that the events of the game are sort of your character's, you know, depressive episode made into like an allegory, right? 
Yeah. They look like monsters to you? Yeah. <laughs> they look like bread to you? Uh, but if you do a good job of taking care of your character, at the end of the game is them kind of sitting on a hill, you know, after this person's funeral and sort of deciding to move on and continue with their life. Mm-hmm. As the sick fucking Yamoka core song plays in the credits roll. <laughs> Just slaying just killing them uh so that's like the good ending pretty fucking sad Mm because you know your person still died and you're still sad oh and it's sort of like the cat plush you've been carrying around the whole time belonged to that person so oh my god also pretty sad (laughs) um now if you didn't take care of your character they basically give you a representation or different representations of your character slipping further and further into some deranged mental state where maybe they think what's happening in the game is real. Not sure. (laughs) Yeah. I got the ending where it's probably like the worst ending where uh, the blue pill guy, uh, if you, if, if, if you're dreaming, you see like an old man in a blue shirt and he sort of antagonizes you. At the end of the game, I met him and shot him. Yeah, so like the blue pills <laughs> are, I don't know, they're like downers or something. Oh, uh, are they? I mean, I think so. Because there's like, so the way that the ending is referenced by fans, there's like the green ending is the sort of neutral to good ending. Um, the blue ending is the bad ending. And then the red ending is like the bad minus. The That ending is like your character is sort of slipping uh further into this sort of depressive state i think that's kind of how i interpret it once again i mean this is all up to interpretation because it's so vague you go beat it eight times and tell us yeah yeah, please give us some insight there's also a red ending and i think the red ending is basically you do all the stuff you did like you you character doesn't have a good mental state but then you just go even further you have to be like an asshole to everybody and you have to just like treat yourself like shit and like (laughs) apparently playing video games more than once a day in the game does that which is kind of funny you don't Uh, warm your beans up (laughs) never warm your beans up um but uh i guess this ending you shoot the man and the man is you and it's strongly implied that you committed suicide uh, you were saying earlier that you felt like the man in blue is you. Yeah. Uh, it, they almost look like palette swaps of each other. Yeah. So I think that's kind of, that is kind of the case. So the game is, is strongly suggesting that that's the case. Yeah. It's very vague, but I don't know. It's, it's pretty cool. I think that for, it is cool for me. I do wish there was a little bit more going on there. Like, maybe a little bit more you know hinting at like the narrative and maybe the ending landing with a little bit more impact but i do like i do like the ending i think a lot of the fun of the story is people's interpretations of it yeah like it's like when twin peaks the return came out and everybody had their fucking theories and uh, people were watching, like, the episodes side by side in tandem and shit. Just doing wild shit, trying to, like, make sense of it. Right. I think that's that's more fun than having a cohesive plot. Yeah. Well, I agree. And like I've said many times on this show, I'd always prefer 
something that's atmospheric and suggestive and cool rather than something that lays every plot point out and makes sense. Totally. And this game, it has a really cool story. I think it achieves that really well. And the way that it kind of combines with the visual style and the gameplay style is really cool. Like, this game doesn't have a ton of, like, scares, I guess. I mean, it has tense parts, like when there's a lot of enemies or, like, when the boss is chasing you or whatever. But Mm -hmm. it does get under your skin. Sure. The fact that you have to take care of this character and then have him look in the mirror and all that kind of stuff like (laughs) at least it got under my skin for sure they should make little lone survivor tamagotchis (laughs) you have to like feed your little hikomori yeah (laughs) force them to cook (laughs) yeah get out of bed yeah come on you don't ever have to make him like wash his face or shave or anything. So I guess like <laughs> that's one that's one gift the developer gave you. But, it's no deadly premonition. Yeah, it's no deadly premonition. <laughs> I did think about deadly premonition though because like the survival mechanics in that game are totally the opposite of this game. Like you do get a meter for everything and you know exactly what you're supposed to do. But Mm -hmm. it's interesting that they both work. I think both games, it works. It becomes like a non-issue in Deadly Premonition because they'll put a sink in the middle of a fucking dungeon so you can shave. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) totally. But I I just thought it was interesting that both games kind of made it work uh, in totally different ways. Yeah. In this game, it's more about not telling you what to do. And in that game, it's just about having a sink in the middle of a dungeon unfortunately you can't chain smoke in lone survivor (laughs) oh god yeah that would just be a whole other can of worms yeah i was you know i played this game when it came out like i said i downloaded it from dude's website onto my fucking mac and like (laughs) i loved it and replaying it now i still love it it's available everywhere i think Mm -hmm. people should totally fucking play this game yeah i liked it a lot um it doesn't overstay its welcome. Yeah. Uh, even though I got stuck once or twice, it was never, like, super frustrating. Yeah. Um, you can always backtrack really easy. So saving, you know, at the worst, saving is only, like, a minute or two away. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I liked it a lot. Yeah, and we talked about how it has these open elements, but it's not a very long game. Right. You know, yeah, um, You know, it, it does open up when you get to the town but the town section is actually pretty short and it doesn't overstay its welcome right and you can also choose not to do you know certain side quests or things like that and yeah if you're a fucking monster and don't like (laughs) kitty cats yeah well i mean yeah you need the cat no but i i mean i don't know i think the game is about four hours yeah maybe a little longer for me yeah it's it's about the length of the original silent hill i think um i would say it's shorter at least yeah. it fell shorter to me. Yeah, but I love that. I think that's such a great length for a game. Um, yeah, this is short a, games forever. Yeah, huge recommendation for me, especially like in light of the Zero Brightness Plus that we did about short games. Yeah, totally. Yeah, four stars. Four. <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> no, yeah, I I really like this game, and I think too. I mean, this never really became a subgenre, which was kind of surprising to me. I mean, there's a what, few side scrolling survival horror. Yeah. 
Yeah. I mean, there's a couple other games like it, but I don't think any of them attempted to do something like this. And this game really stands alone. I think it's super cool. It worked super good. Yeah, there should be more, right? Yeah. Super good. Super good. Game Club. Wow. We made it. We did it. We survived the horror. So we just have a couple more episodes on the docket for this year. Yeah. So next week we're going to do Yume Nikki. Mm -hmm. Free on Steam. Play it with us. I was actually having uh, problems getting it off of Steam. For some reason, like the download link was not available, but it's on the Playism website. Uh, so it's free everywhere, regardless. It's free. There's fan links, and it's been on the internet for free forever. But if you want like a safe link that's not off of a weird-looking website, um, Playism is the publisher of the 3D remake of Yume Nikki that came out last year. Oh, really? Um, and they have the original Yume Nikki listed on there. So nice. Um, if you're not trying to get a sick virus, um, you can go. <laughs> <laughs> you can go to the Playism website. But yeah, I don't know. For some reason, I couldn't get... There was no download link on the Steam page. And then I looked on the Steam forums and there were other people. It's just in the last couple months or so or something. People are like, why is there no download link? That's so, so weird. Yeah, word to the wise. Mm. So we're doing Yume Nikki and then we're doing another indie horror rodeo? Is that right? Goddamn. Dude. Are you scared? I'm pretty fucking scared, Yeah. <laughs> A pair of games that aren't like exactly the same, but share a lot of similar things. We're doing a I'm Scared and Doki Doki Literature Club. Mm-hmm. Both super indie games, both uh, fourth wall breaking, and will infect your computer like that virus you were just talking about. Yeah, God, get some viruses with us, dudes. <laughs> <laughs> Don't get McAfee. <laughs> Oh, dude, turn that shit off. Windows Defender, off.